0: The king has returned, the prophecies fulfilled, the years of longing are over, the king has returned, and now all will be made right amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat, the king has Has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice, not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land. He is the answer to the prayer. We did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. The king is dead. The hand that once held a branch now gripped a hammer. king is dead this king of kings who embraced the very nature of a servant this prince of peace broken for us this commander of angels surrendered to a cross this king joins us in our suffering empathizes in our weakness and he calls us to die with him To lay down our lives. To live in surrender. That we may be fully alive. The king is dead. Long live the king. But this king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist. A third act. There is a third day. And on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The King has returned, leaving death behind, destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory, in his kingdom, in his peace. The King has risen. Long live the King.
1: Good morning. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and so good to have you here. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, we want to worship the risen Savior Jesus Christ. Christ came into this world for you and for me, and we're going to emphasize the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to take from a story that comes from the Gospel of John. John was one of those disciples that followed Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20, and there's an outline that's available for you if you'd like to follow along on that outline, and allow that to be a guiding force uh, for uh, where we're at in the service at any given moment. I wanted to focus on a woman. Her name is Mary. We call her Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was one of those women that was uh, dramatically changed by the power of Christ. It is said in Luke 8 that she had demons in her that Jesus set her free from. I don't know what all that means, but I don't want to have even one demon in me, let alone eight demons. So God has dramatically changed her. She walked with Christ, as other women did. They were there as servants along with the disciples, faithful for up to three years, doing their mighty work. And then she watches Jesus. She's at the cross, She's looking up at this cross as Jesus hangs there for six hours. She watches him die this miserable death as he finally breathes his last and says, it's finished. He commits his mother Mary into the hands of John. He cares for those as best he can from the cross as he cares for all of us because of that cross. And then she watches him be carried away to a gravesite And there at that gravesite, she comes to anoint his body as they would do in those days. And so we find her coming to that gravesite to interact with the living Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a gravesite much like the one that is on the screen. In those days, they didn't put him down in the ground the way we would typically do it. More likely, they would take a cave that they have carved out, place the body inside of it, then to keep somebody from stealing anything that was there in that cave, they would roll a stone in front of it. And it was at that location that we read this account of Mary. I want to read about Mary in John 20, verse 11. It says, But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Now, the first thing that you will notice if you're attentive to the culture of that day is that the first person to see the resurrected Jesus, as we will see in her case, the first person is a woman. In those days, even as you go into the Middle East today, women do not have all the rights that a lot of women have today. In fact, our country has not always been the fairest as well, in all due respect. But in those days, they were treated as as, uh, property, The testimony of a woman in those days could not be used in a courtroom. In fact, there were those like Josephus. Josephus was a historian. This is what he said about women. Because of the levity and the boldness of their sex, they could not be allowed to testify in court. There was another man in the second century. His name was Celsus. He mocked the fact that Mary would be the first person to see Jesus. And he said this about women. And I'm sorry, ladies, but this was back in the second century. Celsus said she could not have been the first witness because women, because she's just a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. So if you think sometimes you get in a bad, a raw deal here, imagine in the Middle East, imagine in the days of Christ. And Jesus says through his, through his powerful authority as the resurrected king, I'm going to let Mary be the first one to see me. That goes against a lot of the thinking of mankind, or womankind, that this is sort of a trumped-up theme, that people have just created this religion that has no basis in fact. If men or women were creating a religion, they would not have a woman in the Middle East in that century be the first witness to the resurrected Jesus. It tells me that God is a counter-God. He has a counter-kingdom. He has an alternative way of thinking. He goes against the grain of what we think things ought to be. And we will see that as we go along. So Mary is the one who comes. He's weeping. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now Now Mary looks inside that tomb. She sees two angels dressed in white. It doesn't occur to her that this is something very unique. She continues the conversation with the angels, perhaps either unwilling or unknowingly engaging with them in a conversation. that tells me that angels do not always come with big, flappy wings. And occasionally they come looking just like you and me. It's one of the reasons that Hebrews says, watch out because you may be entertaining angels and you may not even know it. And so she engages with these angels and they begin this conversation. In verse 13, and they said to her, woman, Why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and, again, did not know that it was Jesus. She does not know what's going on. I understand that. I get that. And Jesus said to her the same thing the angel said. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, it's not that Jesus didn't know whom she's seeking. Jesus knew that she was looking for him, but he's not revealed himself to her or she can't see him as he currently is. And this little pause of a moment in Mary's life, as she stoops into this garden and is looking around, and a man comes up and begins to speak to her, and she thinks it's the gardener. She somehow must think that the gardener has somehow pried away the rock and allowed somebody to steal the body. As it goes on to say, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now what I appreciate about where Mary is coming from is where a lot of us come from at this moment. Mary is thinking in very naturalistic terms. Mary is thinking, I need to go and anoint that body, but the body's not there. She's thinking the body could not have been resurrected. She's not even thinking about that. She's thinking of the naturalistic formula that when faced with a problem, I've got to be very good, do a better job, work harder, be self-reliant, and somehow I will fix this problem. It never occurs to her that the predictions of Christ in the New Testament that he had said repeatedly that he's going to die, bury, rise again the third day. That never occurred to her as being a reality. Mary is there, and I love this image of Mary, on her knees, sort of out of focus, where life is blurred. And suddenly in this moment, nothing about her life makes sense. Some of these words, I think, could have been words that were in the heart of Mary, and maybe they're in your heart at times as well. She's disillusioned. When you think you have a plan from God, you think God has a plan for you, you think you have a relationship where God's going to take care of you, then there's a disillusionment when suddenly things don't turn out the way you thought that they would. And then there's all these dis-words. There's dis-words like discouraged, disappointment, despair. Because sometimes life doesn't treat me the way I think I should be treated. And if I serve a great and mighty God who loves me and cares for me, these things should not be happening to me. Why do I have to go through times of despair? And there's a sense of a failed relationship where she had trusted Christ, served Christ, worked alongside Christ, saw Christ raise Lazarus from the dead, saw many miracles being performed by Christ, and yet here she is, alone and lonely of a failed relationship. Some of you have experienced failed relationships. Could be a marriage, could be a father-daughter, parent-child, boss-employee, backdoor neighbor who plays their music too loud. And we have these relationships that we think should be better than that. And we have the sense of just be good. Mary has this mindset that I've come to do the right thing. I came to the gravesite. I wanted to be good. I wanted to continue to be good because Jesus was so good to me. So if I just be good, things will work out. So she comes to the gravesite. And again, nobody assumes that somebody stole it. Never even occurred to her miraculously. The body is resurrected. But she simply wants to be good. There are some of us who just want to be good. We go to church on Easter Sunday... Because we just want to be good. Some of us, because mom, dad invited us, grandma, grandpa invited us, we just want to be good. And we think somehow that may maybe some, for some of us, it scores points with God. That's Mary. She just wants to be good. And she has this sense of self-reliance. Where I've come and I will handle this all on my own. That's me. I, of that list on the screen, I'm the self-reliant one. I assume it's all up to me if I just work hard and it doesn't work out, then I should have just worked harder. And some people are just self-reliant that they think that somehow I can do good enough for God to accept me. If I am just good enough and work harder, keep the Ten Commandments, then God's got to accept me. God's got to have His hand on me. So we just want to do good and be self-reliant. But often, it ends up with a broken heart. I was reminded of this this last week. One of the things I do outside of church work, although in an indirect way it is, is chaplain work with the PD, Santa Ana PD. So last Sunday night after we left church and came home, we got a phone call that uh, there was a homicide in downtown Santa Ana. Gang territory, to be specific. So I went there and was with the family, and there must have been 15 or 20 cousins and aunts and uncles and grandma and the lifeless body of a 20-year-old who had left the church that he was right next to on Palm Sunday after praying with grandma. Sadly, this young man had no healthy parental influence at home. Both mom and dad have criminal histories. And so grandma was rearing this young man. And as they walked outside on grandma's birthday, that last Sunday it was, he was gunned down. So I am there with grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins and surrounded by the yellow tape to keep them away from their dear loved one. And it's just a constant, I, I know this, but it, when you see it so graphically again and again, it reminds me of this stage of life that sometimes people are in, where some of these words on the screen, some of these feelings in the heart are just overwhelming to our senses. As I stood there, Grandma would constantly say, Por qué? Por qué? Others Why? Why is this happening? And as you probably know, and as I know in my own heart, there are no words that you can give to someone who is watching their loved one down the street about 50 yards away that suddenly makes them say, oh, okay, I'm good now. Thanks for helping us out. We can go home. Everything's okay. There is no answer to the why has my loved one been gunned down. As he was. But as I thought about that, I couldn't tell Grandma why. But it forced in my mind once again another why. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus get buried? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why did Jesus do that? So that no one has to die a hopeless death. And it's not my efforts that gains that new life. It's what Jesus wants to do for me. So Jesus comes, going back to Mary's situation and encounters Mary. And I love these verses 20:16 through 18. And here is the way John writes it. Jesus said to her, "Mary, And as soon as she hears her name, suddenly that very familiar voice sinks into her heart. Where before he was a gardener that might have allowed someone to steal the body, suddenly she hears her name personalized by Jesus, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. The blindness is gone. The clarity is in view. And suddenly she turned. I love this image. Can you imagine? What would it be like that you turn around and there is the loved one that you have always loved, always followed, or always committed to? It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be a parent. Imagine you physically turn around and there they are alive. Well, this is Mary. She turns around and there's Jesus standing in front of her a perfect body resurrected from the dead. Now, there's something more going on here. If you do a little homework on the word turn. You actually find that that same word for turned is used in Matthew 18:3, and there Jesus used that same term. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says, unless someone is converted to be like one of these children, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus uses the same word for turn, only there he says conversion. And so what Mary did physically in turning away from her self-reliant attitude, just being good, disillusioned, disappointed, she turns from that physically and turns to Jesus spiritually, and suddenly she realizes he is alive. For you and for me, Some of us need to turn, convert. We need to turn from that self-reliant, I'm just going to be good and somehow I'll get to heaven. I'll just be good and life will piece together for me. I'll just be good and God will take care of all those problems that come my way, the lack of funds, the problems at work, the marriage, the children. What Jesus, first of all, and foremost of all, wants us to do is to turn to him, Initially, just simply saying, Lord, there's no place else for me to go but you. So why Jesus, said these words, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. It's interesting. Here's Mary in a place of death, and she's discovered a newness of life. What God wants to do is to help us pass from death to life so no one dies a hopeless death again and not only does she turn but then she clings to him as the scripture says jesus said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to the father by saying it that way it shows that he had a physical body he wasn't a ghost it wasn't an imagination it wasn't a dream there was physicality to his body he was truly alive he had a physical body the kind of body that you and I will get when we put our faith in Jesus and we die and go to heaven. The kind of body that you who have loved ones who have died before you, sadly, the kind of body that someday you will cling to as well. And God wants us to have that hope. It's the resurrection that gives us that hope. And then he goes and says to Mary, he says, but go to my brethren. Go to the disciples that went to their home who had given up on me. Go to the men that weren't here like you were here. Go to those guys. Clue them in. He says, go to them and say to them, I send to the Father and your Father, my God and your God. And I love the personal nature that Jesus brings to this. He says, Mary, it's not just a father. He is now your Father. It's not just a God, many gods. Choose your gods. It's your God. Your Father, your God is my Father, my God. God wants to personalize the relationship so that when I turn to Him, He becomes my Father. When I turn to Him, He becomes my God, the miraculous God the God that does the unexpected, the God that doesn't steal the body away, the God that raises the body from the dead, the God that allows us to believe that you will do something greater than what I can ever imagine in my naturalistic thinking, that I turn from the self-reliant naturalistic lifestyle where it's all up to me to be good and do the right thing, and I turn to God and let him do the miraculous thing, the thing that I'll never achieve on my own, where he becomes my God, my personal God, the God I can call upon, the God that I can trust in, the God that when the disillusionment and the disappointments of life come my way, the God that says, I've still got you in my hands. That's the God we want to believe in. And that's who Jesus proves himself to be. So Mary Magdalene heads on out. She came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said to me these things. This is what's going on. Again, God takes the testimony of the resurrected Jesus, puts it in the hands of a woman in the Middle East in that century and says, go and announce then testify to me. That's not the way a man-made religion would do it. But it's how God does it. As he counters the way we typically think. He counters the way we typically think, that is, naturalistic, human effort, be good enough, and God will accept me. No, that's not God's way. It goes through Jesus Christ. So we go back to these, these words that sort of weigh us down. I'm reminded, and I've said this story before, but I, I love it so much and until everybody hears it. I'm just going to keep repeating it. I'm reminded of a single mom. And she's taking care of her little three-year-old, little boy. She wrote about this in a magazine. She told about one day in her life, she said, She said, I was having a miserable day. The washing machine was broken. The dishwasher wouldn't work. The cars needed to be repaired. I had no money to fix any of it. And I'm trying to feed my little three-year-old, and he won't take the food. You know how I I still remember those days where I would take the peas, that green mushed up stuff, and just wouldn't open the mouth. But i take the uh, sweet potatoes and, the, oh, yeah, they they down that. So i learned to mix them together. Well, that's so frustrating. You can't, I want you to be healthy. You're going to die if you don't eat this. That's what I thought to myself. Silly. And so she's trying to feed her little three-year-old and life's not going well. And then all three-year-old, all boy, just goes like this on the high chair. And suddenly he flips the Cheerios and the milk and goes all over mom. What a mess. As soon as he does that, mom just breaks down and sobs. She puts her head on the high chair. She can't contain herself anymore. And that little guy takes the little pacifier out of his mouth and he sticks it in her mouth. <laughs> I love that. Don't you love that? Because there are days when it goes like that. And you want to go back to those days when... Stick a pacifier in there, and I think I'll feel better. Well, God wants us to know that Jesus is not a pacifier, but Jesus will give us peace. He wants to come into our lives and change us. And that's why when Mary turned to Jesus, when Mary embraced and clung to Jesus... When Mary was told by Jesus, this is now your God, your Father. This is a new relationship, and it's personal, and He is here for you. Jesus is the miraculous God who wants to come and encounter us in a fresh new way. Life begins to change, and Jesus comes and becomes her King. Where I take all those things, all those bits and pieces of my life, that self-reliance and that sort of being good and the disillusionment and the disappointment, the broken relationships, the broken heart. And I say, God, too much for me, so I'm going to let you be the king of all that I have. I'm just going to give it to you. And I don't want to be too trite about this, but it's sort of like God is the great fixer-upper where he comes and takes those things that are broken in our lives and begins to restore and heal and make them new. When I turn to Jesus, when I cling to Jesus, and when I submit to Jesus as my king. I love this quote. Samuel Chadwick said it this way. It is a wonder what God can do with a broken heart if he gets all the pieces. So you bring everything you have You bring it all, disappointments, self-reliance, just be good, broken hearts. You bring it all, and you put it under the crown of the king, and God will begin to work. He will work not in the naturalistic way, but he works in the miraculous way. He will work not in the way where you think someone stole the body away. He'll work in the miraculous way where he did the unthinkable. He raises the body from the dead. That's the God that we worship. And so I'm going to give you three promises when you make Jesus your king. The risen Jesus your king. Promise number one, that Jesus is present. He is present, even when we cannot see or recognize him. He's there. That's Mary. I love this verse. When she had said this, she turned and round and saw Jesus standing, but didn't know that it was Jesus. There is so much about life when we're overwhelmed by things that he is there, but I can't see him but it doesn't mean he's absent. Promise number two, that Jesus will provide insight even when things don't make sense. There's so many things about life that I can't make sense of. Why does a young 20-year-old outside of his church, leaving after a prayer on Palm Sunday, why does he get gunned down? I can't make full sense of that. But God wants to make sense through his perspective as he does a work that is beyond our understanding. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, teach me, teach me. Give me insight. God, what are you up to? And a third promise is this. Jesus gives us hope when we turn completely to embrace his rule and reign in our lives. He's looking for more than just being good He's looking for more than just sort of a naturalistic, self-reliant, sort of all-American good guy or girl. He wants submission to him and his rule over us, that we will retake the disillusionment, the disappointments, the discouragements, the despair, and the broken hearts and the broken relationships, and he just bundles it all together and says, now let me work in your life to help you through that time. God wants to do that. He says, stop clinging to me. I'm going to ascend to the Father, but it's not my Father. He says, I want you to have your Father. I want Him to be your God. And it begins to rain. So I want to leave you with a question. And it's this. Will you turn, or you know, I was thinking about this, for some of us, will you return to Jesus Christ? Will you turn to the resurrected Lord? And allow his miraculous love, his supernatural work, his beyond naturalistic thinking, his counter-kingdom design to become part of your life so that you know that wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever happens to you, it's under his kingdom rule. He's in charge. Now, how do we make Jesus our resurrected king? I have a prayer in the back of the outline. I'm going to read this prayer. This is a prayer that would allow you to have words, maybe to something that's in your heart. And whether you believe it when I read it now, or whether you take this home and pray at another time, that's up to you. We're simply here to offer you the opportunity to be like Mary, confused and disillusioned, sad, on her knees, weeping, or turning to the miraculous God who says, Now let me wipe away every tear from your eye and let me do a mighty work. Here's a prayer for you God, I know that I have sinned against you and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is Lord who came to live a perfect life, die as payment for my sins, and he rose from the dead to bring freedom, restoration, And eternal life to all who believe in Him. I don't have all the answers, but help me to learn from Christ as He leads and guides. Please remove any fear or uncertainty I may feel about the circumstances of my life. I look to Christ as my rescuer and ruler. From now on, help me to follow you daily. Turn from my sin. And live in step with your Holy Spirit according to the Bible. May I find great pleasure and joy in serving you as I fully place my life in your hands for the purpose of your kingdom and to the glory of your name. Amen. When that prayer comes from your heart, you've put a crown over every issue of your life and you've made Jesus your king. Let me pray for us. And also pray for our offering as received at this time. It's our opportunity through the offering to be able to express that he is in charge of my life, and that includes everything about my life. And out of joy, I serve him in that way. If you're a guest, no pressure for you. But let me pray for us. Father God, as we look to you for this moment, Father, we entrust our lives to you as a mighty God who did a terrific thing in Mary's life. Lord, where you came to her in her despair, in her sadness, in her brokenness, in her self-reliant attitude. And we honor her for being so good. And, Lord, I I would be Mary. That would be me in that garden, Lord, if I hadn't run to the homes like the disciples. So, Lord, we understand, and we know that you do too, that there are times in life when we simply just need to turn to you Or for some of us, we need to return to you to once again allow you the reign and the rule of our lives, to allow your crown to be the king who directs, encourages, guides, and keeps me faithful till that day comes that I can be with you in heaven. Thank you, Father, for that new life that comes my way, both now and now and forevermore in heaven. And we pray it and bring this offering to you. In Jesus' name, amen.